We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Has had the power to not only transform 
uh, the lives of Christians, but, but the world at large. It has revolutionary power. It is incredible because it is the prayer that Jesus says that we should pray, the Lord's Prayer. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer and looking at what Jesus is saying about prayer and how we should pray. And, and my prayer is that it would transform the way we pray. It would transform the things that we pray about. It would transform the ways in which we pray about the things we're already praying for. That Jesus' words to his disciples, that we would read them as words to us as well, because they are. And that it would transform how we pray. And so I want to give you a, a challenge over the next few weeks. I want to ask that as we go through this series together, as we look at the Lord's Prayer and what it means, I want to ask that each of us commit to praying it once a day, to reading through the Lord's Prayer, it's really short, and praying what Jesus is teaching us to pray. And I know that our, our understanding of what Jesus means there is going to be growing, and so it's okay if you don't know exactly what Jesus is, is saying to start, your understanding will grow as we walk through it together, but let's just start by praying the Lord's Prayer together as a church. And allowing Jesus' words to transform the way we pray. And so, I think it's only fitting that we do that. And so, um, as, we, as we read our passage today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray about just the first line of the Lord's Prayer as we pray for our time together today. And so, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer. And today we're going to be looking at how not to pray. And so, as we get into the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives these instructions to his disciples about ways that they shouldn't pray. And so, before we know how to pray, we need to look at how Jesus says not to pray, and that will transform how we understand how to pray. So, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 today. And even if you just start with the Lord's Prayer by reflecting on and thinking about what it what it may mean, and praying it genuinely, not just reading it aloud. Yeah, that's a great place to start. Reading it aloud and and meaning it. And so, even if you don't have a whole lot of things to pray, you can start there. You can start by praying these words that Jesus gives us and meaning them to the fullest degree that you're able at this point. Let's read Matthew chapter six, starting in verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the, as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. 
Father, we come to you today as your sons and daughters because of Jesus Christ. Because of what he's done for us, we come to you as family, as children, longing for you to hear us and knowing that you do. Knowing that you know what we need before we even ask it. And so God, we lift our concerns to you today and we ask that in each of them, God, that you would give us a, a focus upon you. That your name would be hallowed, that it would be holy, that we would be dedicated to your praise and your glory, even in the most difficult things that we're walking through right now. God, would you show yourself mightily? Would you reveal yourself to us? Would your name be exalted, even in the midst of difficult situations that each of us is walking through? God, we pray for your name and your glory. Well, there's three things that I want us to look at today. Uh, the, the, the first two are, are don't pray like religious people in verses 5 and 6. And then we're, we're going to see don't pray like worldly people in verses 7 and 8. And then finally we're going to look at praying like godly people in verses 1 of chapter 6 and verse 9. And so let's look at don't pray like religious people starting in verse 5. So Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And then he says, they have received your, their reward, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. And so, first of all, we have to see that prayer is this essential and expected part of the Christian life, according to Jesus. He, he says, when you pray, three times in this passage alone. And in this context, Jesus is giving his Sermon on the Mount. The most famous sermon contains the most famous prayer ever heard. And so, as Jesus is giving the sermon, what he's talking about is living the Christian life. He's talking about living the kingdom life and what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen. To belong to God, to live underneath God's rule and reign as God is the rightful king over our lives and our hearts, and he is the one that directs our paths, and rightfully so. We should be living our lives in submission to his authority because he is the one that is always good, always just, always true. And so Jesus is giving his Sermon on the Mount where he lays out what it looks like to live a righteous life. In Matthew 6, chapter 1, we read this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And so as Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's giving some instructions for what it looks like to live the kingdom life or the righteous life. And a righteous life is a life that is lived in submission to God's redemptive rule and reign in our lives. And as he does this, he lists out three things that he just expects to be part of living your life in submission to God's rule and reign. He talks about, in the first little section, he talks about giving. And then he talks about prayer. And then he talks about fasting. And each time he talks about these things, he says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, he expects these things to be part of the disciples' life. And so prayer, as we begin to look at prayer, we have to first realize that prayer ought to be something that so shapes and transforms our lives that it is expected, it is a normal part of the Christian life, the Christian walk with God. That Jesus expects this of us, he expects it to be part of our lives, and to not pray is to miss out on the reality of our relationship with God, our dependence upon him. 
And if you're not praying, you're, you're missing out on something that Jesus believed to be essential, not only for his disciples, but for himself. Because if you read through the Gospels, you see that Jesus repeatedly takes time away from others to, to get time with his Father, and he prays. And Jesus is the Son of God, God himself in the flesh as a human being, come to us to save us. And if Jesus, the Son of God, needs prayer, then you and I need it even more. And so Jesus expects this to be part of our lives. He says, when you pray, assuming that we're going to be praying, and that his instructions are, are valid for us because we are people who are concerned about prayer. But the fact is, many of us, We live lives, we go throughout our day-to-day -day routines as though, as though prayer doesn't matter. We wake up, we get ready for work, we go to work, we work hard, we come home, we eat dinner, we spend time with the family for you know the few hours we've got left, and then we go to bed. And honestly, we don't think that much about God throughout our day. And maybe this isn't, isn't true of you, but for a lot of us, this is the kind of routine that we get into, and prayer is not part of that routine. But see, Jesus expects it to be part of our routine because even Jesus needed to pray. And so if Jesus needs to pray, if Jesus expected this to be part of our lives, then it ought to be. And what we're demonstrating when we pray is that we know we need God. And if we go throughout our daily lives without praying, then what we're demonstrating is we don't believe that we need we may, you know, when, when, when the pastor says it from the pulpit or, or when somebody talks about it you know, with another Christian, you know, we may acknowledge intellectually, yeah, I need God. But when we look at our day-to-day -day lives and our week-by-week -week routines and realize that prayer is not a part of it, what we realize is that we have an intellectual belief that has not become a functional. And what I mean by that is we intellectually can affirm something, that prayer is a good and necessary thing. We, we think that and we believe in that sense, but it's not a belief in the sense that it drives our actions on a day-to-day -day basis. That's what a functional belief is. And so what we need to realize first is that Jesus expects this to be a functional belief of ours. He expects it to drive what we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. He says, when you pray, expecting that we'll pray, knowing that we need God's help. And so it says, when you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites. And so hypocrites are religious people that care more about how others see them than about how God sees them. And so when Jesus says hypocrites, he's talking about religious people. He's talking about the people that you and I would look around and see as people who are doing the right things. I love how Jonathan Pennington puts this as he, as he writes about the Sermon on the Mount. He, he talks about how what Jesus means by hypocrite is someone who's genuinely doing something good. Like outwardly, they're actually doing good things, but inwardly, they don't mean it. They don't have a heart that is shaped by and transformed by a concern for God. Rather, they, they love the approval and the praise of others, just like Jesus says here, right? This is what he says. He says, don't be like the hypocrites when you pray, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And so that word love there includes us into what hypocritical people desire, what they value. It's a value word, right? When we read words like love, it should communicate something to us about what is being valued as most worthy 
most worth our time and efforts and our care. And so when we see that they love that, what they love is being seen by others doing religious things. And so hypocrites are religious people who are acting. That's what the word hypocrite would have meant in this context, is, is an actor, like in a theater. The hypocrite, the original word, meant someone who acted in a theater play. So they were portraying something outwardly that wasn't actually true of themselves as a person. And so when Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites when you pray, he's saying, don't just be somebody who prays for the praise of other people. Your concern shouldn't be what other people are thinking about you when you pray. And all of us have this temptation, right? All of us have that moment where, you know, we're praying in a group of people, and all we can think about is what someone else is going to be thinking about the words we're praying. We get so anxious and we're so concerned about what people think of us that we miss out on an opportunity to talk with the divine being who created the universe. We miss out on the fact that we have an opportunity to talk with God and to hear from God because we're more concerned about what people think of us than we are about what God thinks of us. And I know that's a hard truth, but it's, it's true of us so often in life. And we need to hear Jesus' words here because they're not just a warning for anyone. He's giving this warning to his disciples, the 12 people who were closest to him in his life and ministry. So it definitely applies to you and I. We need to heed Jesus' words here because in Matthew 6, 1, when he says, when he starts this section where he's talking about giving, praying, and fasting, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before others. Beware is a warning. Jesus is warning us about something that is deathly to us. He's warning about something that is going to result in our destruction. When we care more about what other people think of us than we do about what God thinks of us, we are not following God. We are in need of a heart transformation, uh, an affection for His affections. We need to be concerned about what God thinks of us. I, I think about this time where Brittany and I were invited to this worship night. So, if, if, if you were, if, if you came to Christ as as, as a young person, then, then maybe you got invited to one of these things. That, that seems to be something that lots of young people do, where they. You know, they get a guitar and they get together at somebody's house and they just have a worship night where they're, you know, playing on the guitar and singing. And, and, and we got invited to this one at one of our friend's houses in St. Louis. And, and we got there and it was an amazing night. You know, all these young people in this room just singing praises to God and, and so thankful for what God was doing in their lives and, and honoring Him with their lips and with their words and with their song. And... And in the middle of this, things are going amazing, you know, it's, it was just this amazing time of worship with other believers, and then this one girl who was there that we didn't know uh, started to speak up and interrupt what was happening. And what she began to tell us, and, and she's visibly shaking as she tells us this, is that she has the healing power of God in her, and that if we'll just touch her, then we'll be healed from all our infirmities. And she begins to just adamantly start to raise her voice and tell us this in the midst of, of people trying to worship. And it's distracting, and, and all of a sudden the attention is no longer upon God, but upon her. And she wasn't standing and praying in the synagogues or at the street corner, but she was directing all of the attention to herself in that moment. 
And all of a sudden, what had been about God and his praise was about her and hers. And that's, that's the kind of idea that Jesus is getting at here. That when we do religious things, things that are meant to be in devotion to God, we ought not to be doing them for the praise of others, for our own attention. We ought to be doing them in such a way that directs people towards God's praise. God is the one that's meant to be the central focus of our prayers. They're not meant to direct people towards us and get people's attention. See, you can often tell a, a hypocrite or someone who's religious outwardly but not inwardly from a genuine believer and, and how much they talk about their own greatness compared to talking about God's greatness. And so th these kinds of individuals will, will slip into conversations early and often about uh, uh, how, how, how they get up early in the mornings and they, they pray and they pray for hours and, and they pray for all these different people and concerns and, and they spend more time telling you about how early they pray and how long they pray, how frequently they pray and what they're praying for than they do actually praying. They spend more time talking to you about how good they are at prayer and how you should let them pray for you because they're so good at it and they do it so often and they pray for so many different kinds of people and so many needs. This is the way hypocritical people talk in and approach prayer. They pray and they talk about prayer in such a way as to direct attention to themselves because they care more about your praise than they do God's. They care more about your attention when what is offered to us is God's attention, is God's own ear in prayer. And we spend so much time concerned about what other people are thinking about us that we miss that we actually have the ear of the God of heaven. And we miss it. And that's what Jesus is telling us to avoid here. He's saying Christian prayer is directed to God rather than others because the Christian cares most about how God sees them. And so he, he talks here about uh, don't pray. They, they stand and pray in the synagogues so their attention is on what church people or religious people think about them. And then at the street corners where they're concerned about what unbelievers think about them, they want them to see them as holy and, and good and righteous and respectable. And, and, and their whole attention is towards what other people think. And then and he says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So the idea here is that Jesus says they've already received their reward. The hypocrite has received their reward in the praise of other people and the attention of others. And what they're not going to receive is the attention of God. God pays no attention to a prayer that is prayed for the sake of gaining the praise of other people rather than its own. And so Jesus warns us about this, and he says that those who pray in secret will have the Father's ear, that they will have his attention, that they will have his concern. And so what we have to ask ourselves is, so every time we pray in public, is that wrong? Is that what Jesus is saying here? No, because even Jesus prayed in public. So what he's not saying is that we shouldn't pray in church services and that we shouldn't pray with other believers. He's, he's getting at who we should be praying to, who our focus should be on. That's what Jesus is talking about here. So if you think about, um, if, you, if you've been to a hospital or a seminary recently and you, 
you see either a prayer room or a chapel. And oftentimes these places are not gigantic rooms, but they're these, these closed-off places where you can get some seclusion and some alone time with God. Where you can shut yourself in there and be away from all the people and concerns, and maybe for you the people are the concerns, but you, know, you get an opportunity to get away from those concerns, right? And so you get into this room, you shut the door, and all of a sudden it's just you and God. And the purpose of that kind of idea is, is, is not to say that that's the only valuable kind of prayer. It's to say that we do those kinds of things so that we can focus, so that we can focus on God and pray. And Jesus did the same thing in his earthly ministry, right? He, he took time, he prayed with others, and he also took time to get away from other people and spend time with his Father alone, focusing upon God. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that when you pray, do so in such a way that your focus is on praying to your Father who is in secret. He's saying pray to the Father. Don't be concerned about what other people are thinking of you as you pray. Pray to God alone. He's not saying corporate prayer or prayer with other believers is a bad thing. He would encourage that as well. What he's saying is your focus needs to be on the Father when you pray. And so how, how do we know if we pray like a religious person, like a hypocritical person, or a godly person? Well, I, th I think there's a couple questions we can ask. One is, do you pray more in public or in private? So just think about your your prayer life, do you pray most often in public when you're around other people, or do you pray more when you're alone with God? And the second thing I think we can ask to kind of discern if, if, we're, if we're a religious hypocrite or a godly prayer warrior is, do you talk to God or other people more about your concerns? Do you, so, do you take your prayer list and do you spend more time talking to other believers about your prayer list and about your concerns then you actually be talking to God about them. Because if you're spending more time talking to other people about what you should be praying about, then you might be a hypocrite. Or if you spend, if, if you spend more time praying in public when other people can see you, then you be <coughs> praying in private when the only one who can see you is God himself, then you may be a hypocrite. And you need to heed Jesus' warning here where he says, beware of practicing your righteousness in front of other people. He's not saying doing good things in front of others is a bad thing. He's saying doing good things for the praise of other people rather than the praise of God is a bad thing. And it will lead to your destruction. Because you'll fool yourself into thinking that you have a dynamic relationship with God when you have none at all. When all you have is the praise of other people, and at the end of the day, you may be like that one that Jesus says, that can't, comes to him at the end of days and says, but Lord, we, we did this in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We prayed for the sick and healed them in your name. And Jesus will look at you and say, I never knew you. Because your whole life you spent caring about what other people thought of you more than you did about what God thought of you. That's why Jesus uses the word because it's a very serious thing. So don't pray like religious people. And also we see don't pray like worldly people. In verse 7 it says, And when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. 
And so Jesus says, don't pray like religious people, but also don't pray like worldly people. When he uses that word Gentiles, he's talking about people who do not believe in the one true God and do not trust in him. So he's not saying that they're, that they're just atheistic, that they don't believe in a God. He's saying that whatever God they're trusting in is not the one true God. This is what Gentile means. It's people who are not trusting in the one true God who created all things and who's our true rock and redeemer. He's saying, do not be like the Gentiles who keep up these empty phrases and think that they're going to be heard by God because of their many words. The idea here is vain repetition. And, and, and what we realize first, though, is that even unbelievers think that prayer is powerful and that it matters. So you, you think about, you know, Gentiles praying. Jesus assumes that Gentiles praying, that unbelievers praying. And we think about our own lives and how, you know, even the most ardent atheists, when they're at the hospital, all of a sudden they'll pray. Or, or maybe at the loss of a job, or, or maybe you know, you're riding in an airplane and, and you don't think much of God until the turbulence starts, right? And then all of a sudden you're praying with everybody else. Because whenever we get into these moments where we realize our frailty, when we realize that we don't have this thing called life together, that we don't, we don't got this. In those moments, we realize there's someone who's bigger than us, and we start to pray, even if we've never trusted in him before. And Jesus is saying, even the Gentiles pray, even the unbelievers, they pray. And so, he doesn't want us to be like religious people, but he doesn't want, want us to be like unbelieving people in our prayers either. And he says, Gentiles are, are worldly people who, who believe that they can manipulate God with their words. He says, don't give up empty phrases, don't, don't use many words thinking that this idea of vain repetition, that repeating a certain thing, a certain way, a certain number of times is finally going to get God to do what you want. Prayer is not about getting God to do your will. Prayer is about hearing God's will. Prayer is not about you getting God to do your will. It's about God getting you to do your our focus upon God is key in prayer because we cannot manipulate God with our words. Repeating something over and over again as though it's like a magic spell that if we just say the right things the right number of times, he'll answer us. It's just preposterous. He's the sovereign king of the universe. He created all things. You repeating a Hail Mary ten times instead of nine is not going to change his mind. He doesn't care whether you pray the same thing ten times as opposed to nine. That's not what God is, is concerned with. His concern is whether you are concerned about Him. Whether you're focused on Him in prayer. Whether your requests are genuine, bringing a need to God, your Father, as a dependent child who needs His help. Most, most religions have this kind of vain repetition, though, right? We see this all the time. Catholics believe there's power in, in praying through the rosary and praying a certain number of Hail Marys and a certain number of times, and the Muslims recite certain portions of the Quran and certain prayers at specific times of the day, and then Jewish people even recite specific prayers daily, and they even incorporate bodily motions with certain prayers to show their spiritual vigor and commitment. And what Jesus is saying is this kind of vain repetition where we just do the same thing over and over again, thinking that if we keep doing it, it's going to manipulate God into doing our will, is just preposterous. 
Jesus wants us to come to God as a father, as children who need him, who make genuine requests of him. We don't think that if we do a certain thing a certain way a certain number of times, then we're going to get God to do our will and our business. It's not what prayer is about. And, and here's the sad part. is talking about the Lord's Prayer. There's even some Christians who, who trust in Jesus that use the Lord's Prayer in a vain, repetitive way. We just, you know, sometimes when we think about the Lord's Prayer, what we think about is this group of people just reading it aloud together, and, and most of the time, not actually meaning it, and thinking about it, and reflecting on it. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to read the Lord's Prayer together. I would love for us to do that. I think that's a good thing. We may even do that in this series. But as we do that, as we read the Lord's Prayer aloud, what we do is we think about what the words mean. It's the same thing, you know, it's what Pastor Cameron wants us to do in worship, right? When we're singing these praise songs, we're not to just be repeating the words that we're reading on the screen. We're to sing them together from the heart as, as though we mean them because we do. That's the kind of prayer that Jesus is after. Not this vain repetition, but something that comes from the heart as a genuine request that we mean it when we pray the Lord's Prayer. And so maybe you don't understand the Lord's Prayer yet. That's fine. We're going to grow in our understanding together as we walk through it together. But you can just start praying what you do understand and, and meaning it and beginning to think about what it means and how it might impact your own life. And so Jesus is saying, don't pray like the religious people. Don't pray like the worldly people who repeat these vain, repetitive prayers to manipulate God's will. He says, Christian prayer is directed to the Father, not because we believe we can change His will, but because He knows what we need before we ask. Did you see that in the passage? In verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need, look at this, before you ask Him. Pray then like this. So Jesus says the reason we can have confidence in prayer is not because if you just do it the right way a certain number of times, you're going to change God's mind. It's because he's a loving, good, gracious, just father who knows what his children need before they ask. That's why we have confidence in prayer. It's because the God who created all things and has planned the future with every detail in it and knows it before it happens has planned to respond to the prayer of his children. Has planned ahead of time. So, you know, if you think about it as a kid, like going to the zoo with, with mom and dad and, and some friends, and, and as a kid, you're not concerned about the things you're going to need throughout the day, right? But mom and dad know that you're going to need sunscreen, you're going to need snacks and water to drink because it's going to be hot and, and you're going to be dehydrated, and they know that throughout the day, you're going to be bringing requests to them as you get thirsty, you're going to say, Dad, Mom, can I have some water? As you get hungry, you're going to say, Dad, can I have some snacks? You know, as you start to feel some, some red on your skin, you know, and, and, it, and it's stinging a little bit, you're going to say, Mom, I think they need to reapply the sunscreen. Maybe you were blessed and, and don't have as pale skin as, as I do, so you don't identify with that. But, you know, a, a lot of times there's these needs that parents are aware of with their kids before their kids are ever aware of the need. And so they plan to meet the need ahead of time, and they know how to meet it. And so when the child comes, 
and says, I need some sunscreen, I need some food, I need some water. The good father is ready and willing to answer because he knows what you need before you ask. And so Jesus says, this is what's true about our Heavenly Father. He knows what you need financially before you do. And better than you do. He knows what you need physically before you do. When you're sick and in the hospital, it doesn't surprise God. When you think you might die soon, it does not surprise the Heavenly Father. He knows before you do what you need. When, when He knows when, when you're entering into a season of depression, before you ever get there, He knows what you need emotionally and spiritually. And He's ready and willing to provide it. And so when we bring our requests to God, we are bringing them to a Father who knows already and is prepared to answer before Him. And so Jesus says, pray like godly people. He says, pray then like this. And so we remember in, in the verse 1 of chapter 6, He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus isn't saying, don't practice righteousness. He's saying, practice it before God with your focus on Him. He's talking about living a godly life and praying like godly people in chapter 6. And so then he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so prayer is part of practicing or living a godly life. And prayer is as God as its highest and most central concern. Prayer starts with who God is. Prayer starts with a recognition of who God is as holy and revering Him as holy other, as good and true and devoted to what is good. Prayer begins with us recognizing who our God is, who we're praying to. Jesus said, pray to your Father who is in secret. Recognizing who God is. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be praised in our lives. May our first and utmost concern be you. No matter what concerns or trials we're walking through, may it be you. And did you notice that throughout the passage, Jesus says, pray to your Father? Because what Jesus has done for us is he has given us his Father's ear as sons and daughters of so when we sang earlier about what Jesus has done on the cross, the cross is what makes prayer possible. The cross is what reconciles you and I to God, even though we've been hypocrites, even though we've been worldly, even though we've sinned and rebelled against God and done things all the wrong ways. What Jesus has done on the cross is he has reconciled us to himself as sons and daughters of the King, so that when you pray, desires and thoughts upon who you are and what you've done for us. God, that we might see you more clearly, that 
as we think about how to pray, that we would think about you.